Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast. Today, we are lucky to have Albert Mudrian joining us, uh, the editor of Decibel Magazine. And uh, today, we're going to talk about the uh, 200th issue and the uh, the crazy stuff that will be happening surrounding that. So uh, I guess I will open the floor to you, Albert. And, uh, you can introduce yourself, and then we'll go around the, the room. Right on. Uh, I... As John said, I'm Albert Mudrine. I'm the editor-in-chief and uh, founder of Decibel Magazine. Um, we are approaching our 200th issue, uh, which will be out at the end of April, beginning of May. Um, so we're going to celebrate that with a 200th issue live show stream, which will be April 30th. There's a bunch of cool uh, rock and roll and heavy metal bands and a bunch of special guests um, stopping by to say hello It'll be streaming free on the YouTubes. We can talk about that more later. Um, but yeah, this is, um, this is a fun time for us. Uh, obviously, uh, the pandemic has impacted what we're able to do with events for the immediate future. So being able to, to finally dip our toe into a streaming event, which I have uh, avoided like COVID-19 uh, to this point, um, it's, it's a definitely an interesting move for us, but one I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, and, um, introducing everyone, we have, uh, John Rosenthal. Hello. And Langdon Hickman. Hello. <laughs> and this is Joe April. Um, so Albert, um, what, what kind of broke the camel's back in finally doing like a streaming event? Was, was there any kind of story behind that? Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, when everything went to shit, I was approached by a number of people to do anything from drive-in events to you know other live stream um, events with you know ticketed live stream events, um, and I just um, I was apprehensive just because I wasn't interested in it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't interested in the format, so to get involved in it felt a little disingenuous. Um, but it was also just because I didn't feel like there was a reason, you know, like when somebody says, Oh, we should do a live event or a live stream event. You're like, why? You know, like, like the bands can do this if they want and we'll support them and help them do it, but they don't need us. Um, so, you know, when we came up, um, at the at, it was kind of the end of last year that I realized the 200th issue was approaching, um, and we weren't going to be able to execute something like we did for our hundredth issue um, eight and a half years ago, where we threw like this really cool show in Philly with Converge and Pig Destroyer and Repulsion and Musical Waste and a bunch of bands and just had a great night, a um, bunch of special guests doing collaborations and introductions. It was a good time. And when it was, you know, abundantly clear that we would not be able to replicate something like that, um, I just thought, well, you know, the live streaming event is, is on the table and can we take this format and kind of bring our own feel, decibelize it in a way and, and, and have something, have a reason to execute it. So yeah, it was honestly just, I feel like you need a reason to do things, you know, otherwise it's like, why you're just, you're just doing shit to, to fill space and time. And um, I mean, not to get ex existential, but we all are essentially. But regardless, <laughs> beyond that, like it really is, 
I wanted a reason to, to do something. Like I, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to be able to get excited about it. And if I could get excited about it, I figured um, the people involved with it, the, our readership, um, fans of the bands, everybody would also get excited about it. So yeah, that's it basically. Um, as someone who has put together shows, I know that wrangling metal bands is like wrangling cats or nailing jello to a tree. So how was this, you know, making every band do things on their own terms in, in a streaming session? Uh, how was this different than setting up a tour or a festival? Um, way easier in, in a lot of ways uh, because you don't have way easier in the sense that pretty much no band is working right now. So you have a, you have a pretty, a pretty wide uh, palette from which to work from. Uh, the only limitations being bands that are not all located in generally the same area and bands that have already done a live stream event of their own, because I didn't want to take, I didn't want to take away from that. I didn't want to also bands that may have been thinking about something that they wanted to monetize. I didn't want to um, dissuade anyone from doing that. So that was really like the only limitation. So you have got, you've got this huge selection to, to start with. Um, but, and then, um, so you're not working, you're not worried about competing events. You're not worried about like conflicting tour schedules, any of that stuff. You're not worried about guarantees. It's just like you start with a budget and then you see who, what kind of access um, uh, artists have to audio and video, who needs a lot of help, who doesn't, and you just kind of start building it out and, and working from there. Um, you know, and, and so in some ways it isn't that dissimilar to doing an, an actual um, physical event where you have, um, you have your budget that you're working from and you start allocating that based on... Um, just based on the size of bands and draws and things like that. But, um, but yeah, you have, um, you're able to work, I think more efficiently and the bands realize that like a deadline is a deadline. Um, you know, you need the audio, you need the video done by a certain point so we can get it mastered and get it integrated into the, uh, into the program itself. Um, the, other, I mean, the thing that's been different obviously has been um, a lot of the, um, guest appearances that are um, they're going to be part of this, which I can't really you know give away right now. Um, but it's a lot of like artists kind of dropping in to say hello or give shout outs or that kind of thing. So um, last I checked, there were like fifty of them that we had. So like, damn, getting everybody, getting everybody to get their files in and get them sorted and get them edited and make sure everybody knows to turn their fucking iPhone horizontal, um, which certainly didn't happen. <laughs> um, but like, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but those are like, those are things that you can manage just throughout the day um, where it's kind of cool. It isn't like the, when I get into metal and beer fest mode where it's just like, I got to just stop and concentrate on getting, um, you know, this contract sorted or um, making sure that um, whoever, you know, you know, making sure that Live Nation is cool with the, the insane amount of money I'm going to spend on Band X or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's a way different flow to it where it's just so easy. Like, you know, somebody texts you from a band that they're going to be doing a shout out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, just send just when you're done, just text it back to me. 
and then like, okay, wait, that's completed. You know what I mean? You could just check that off. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it's, it's a much simpler process, but it's still, it's a different format and it's a different medium and something we've never done before. So, um, it's something I can get excited about because it's just a different feel and it's not trying to be anything else. You know, we're not doing like the, Oh, here's our virtual beer pairing thing. Like, you know, we're not going to like, <laughs> like we're not going to try to fucking fake it with anybody. It's just like, you know, when, when our events, when the world is ready to have our events again, that our events will be what they were um, for the most part, you know? Um, but we're not going to try to like do something, do the virtual version of them. Cause I just think that would kind of bum people out more than anything else. Really. It's kind of like, you know, Oh, well this is kind of cool. But, you know, what doors did this, uh, digital medium open for you? Doors did it open. Um, I, I, I it's been kind of cool cause we have, we're, we're going to have five bands performing at this. It's, um, Horrendous, uh, or it's Wake, Horrendous, Full of Hell, um, Chemist, and Midnight. Um, these are all bands that that I was friends with and have worked with on the in the past on some level. And now that I think about it, I have booked all of these bands for decibel live events at one point or another. So I've already have like a you know a a good relationship with them. They know us, we know them. Um, so with the actual artists, there wasn't anything, but the thing that was, th that I really think like kind of opened up the process for me a little bit was, um, maybe working more with some of the, um, companies that came on as sponsors for the event. Um, and like kind of getting a sense of how they approach video because decibels never been a video oriented thing you know we weren't a we didn't need to pivot to video at any point you know we just kind of did our thing and then <laughs> and then added other things to it that weren't video um so i never there was never the deep dive video so that I, I was never thinking about like oh you know what's the right amount of content how long does it need to be what's too long what's gonna um what's gonna really connect with um a video audience. Uh, so working with some of the labels that are going to have like some, what are essentially commercial time within the programming. Um, I think it's been maybe a bit of an appreciation of that as more of an art form that it can be and that you can actually have fun with it. And it doesn't have to be that kind of stale, typical um, video commercial Cause like, you know, when I think of like heavy metal commercials, I just like, I just think back about like the like 1500 victory records ads that would air during the Banger's <laughs> ball of the mid aughts. And that just made me borderline suicidal to even imagine sitting through something like that. So I was just like, man, like, like talking with like the, the video production people at, at some of these labels and seeing the way they approach it and, um, is everybody, you know, just like them knowing, un, knowing us and knowing our personality and realizing that we want it to be fun. Um, but without, you know, just walking that line between being fun, but a little stupid, but not too stupid and a little cheesy, but not too cheesy. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think I, I don't think there's any like great connections I've made that we didn't have already, but I think it's just been for me um, an appreciate a new appreciation of an existing medium that I didn't nearly that I didn't pay as much attention to as I probably should to this point. Well, what is um, I mean, you know, the pandemic now being about a year, and pretty early on there were some bands that started with the the live streaming did you watch any did any particularly stand out and go oh wow this is this is something cool or was was it mostly just ah oh, this is lame <laughs> i think that there's a couple ways i think there's a couple ways that people reacted to live streaming events in the early the earliest months of the pandemic i know for me personally mm-hmm. they bummed me out um, just because I was, you know, obviously not only am I a fan of live music and, and miss it and appreciate it, but I, you know, having, um, organized these events for years, like having that taken away also, I think made it a little more, it, it, it kind of stung a little bit more for me personally, uh, cause I couldn't execute these things with these people that I cared about and these artists that I cared about to create this thing that like that I personally believed in that I thought was like a really cool time for people. So it just felt like this weird band aid and just kind of reminded me of live shows that, and I didn't, if they weren't happening, I didn't really want to be reminded, you know, I wanted to like focus on other things, whether it was like the books we were working on or the print magazine itself or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, records, um, that were being recorded, um, new music, just, I wanted to just focus in on anything else, but this reminder that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't consume live music as I had. Um, but as that wore on and it gets a little further away as it gets further away, but at the same time, kind of closer to coming back, um, it, it became way easier for me to appreciate it. But the first one that I watched, in earnest um, were the first couple obituary streams, which I think were towards, I don't know, was that maybe like November or something? I can't remember at this point, but I think part of that was because they were playing, they were performing one of them. They were doing all the cause of death, um, which they did at the, at our metal and beer fest in Philly back in 2019. So I think that was like a really easy, uh, door for me to get in in where i was just like okay i've seen this live already i've had this live experience so i don't have to look at this and think oh what would this have been like live because i i knew so it was like i could i could watch it and and like hear how good the audio was and see the you know appreciate the camera work and just everything that goes into a performance like that and i was able to kind of look at it differently from there so that was the one that that kind of changed things for me and then after that it was all just like i'd gotten over my own bullshit and it was like fine to watch anything i think i was in the same boat as you for a while i I didn't really watch any at all until enslaved announced their slate of them uh, for basically the same reason where i was like i just and we, we were talking about this on on the podcast a bit earlier as well that um, the, the whole thought of being reminded of live shows, knowing I couldn't get to them, did something funny in my head. And I was like, I'd rather focus on on writing or listening to the records that are coming out and 
like live now, not try to. <laughs> but then, yeah, like what you're saying, at, at a certain point, you see something that's a bit too tantalizing. You're like, no, no, I'm breaking my rule. That's the <laughs> <good>. um, <laughs> you're like I was wrong. I've learned now. Yeah, I, I think it's I mean, not to 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 get melodramatic, but I think that there is there was a certain grieving process for a while for for people who live music is such a huge part of all of our lives and to have it, you know, taken away so quickly. Um, and from my own experience personally, you know, we, that year's decibel tour, we had to cancel the tour, um, the day before it was supposed to start. Like, so like you had that, like you had that kind of rip from you. And then we had to postpone the festival, which was, or the Philadelphia festival, which was about a month from happening. So I think, for me personally, again, it just made it that much harder. If maybe we didn't have anything that was so uh, close on the docket to, you know, getting to getting ready to hit the hit the launch button, it may have, I may have been more um, open to uh, being able to process the live event stuff sooner. But I think when you know, and like I said, my personal experience factoring that all in, it was just it was just really rough for a while, and I didn't want. I didn't want anybody to talk to me about any of our shows or any of the, any of that stuff. I didn't want to, I didn't want to drink it out of my metal and beer fest mugs. I didn't want to just, just, just put this <laughs> shit away for a little while. And, you know, uh, and now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all good with it. So the, um, it's interesting you mentioned that. And, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but again, on a personal level, uh, like I, you know, years from now, I'm not going to be able to not think about COVID and think about Decibel because when Los Angeles shut down, that was right before the weekend where the Decibel tour was supposed to play Santa Ana down in Orange County. And I had made a big thing out of that. Like a friend of mine was going to come down and it was my birthday weekend. And and I was happy because it was like, oh, the show is going to be on my actual birthday. This is going to be fucking sweet. And all of that happened. Yeah, that show in particular, that show was, I think that was the first show of the tour that sold out. And it sold out so early that we added like an, an LA date. Yeah. On top of that. Um, but yeah, well, that's great. That will, that will, will be COVID magazine in your, in your mind for, for, for um, <laughs> years to come. It's good to know. Um, yeah. But no, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's all that association. Everybody's going to have that that weird, I mean, it's going to be weird for me when the day comes and we're actually able to execute the metal and beer fest that I've been postponing for a year now. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's actually like realized. Um, and again, it's not going to, it's going to be different. I don't expect, I mean, I honestly hope that by the time, um, by the time it it's now scheduled for September 25th and September 26th. And I obviously don't want to jink anything, jinx anything. I think the overall, the trajectory that we're on is positive and that it's not crazy to imagine that we could, that we could make it work and execute it. Um, but I don't want anybody to have any ideas that, Oh yeah, we're going to go back. It's just going to be the same thing that it would have been on um in february of 2020 if we did it then like i think i think things are going to change and and they have to 
if we're going to be able to, to do this the way that we want to. Um, but like, but the bottom line being, yeah, get me, get this, let's get this, let's get this out. Cause it's going to be, man, it, it, it's going to be like a fucking exorcism. And uh, like, I think when we actually can, can, can get it out. And, and yeah, I mean, I, and I know the lineup is, I obviously I can't give any of this shit away right now. Um, but the lineup is, is changed from the original beyond the like three headliners, but man, there's some rad stuff in there that wasn't in the original. Um, so I think <laughs> that like when we get to the point where we can announce everything and we can, we can peep, like we can begin for people to, we can begin to be comfortable with having people get excited about the events. Cause it's the other thing. It's like, I don't want to get this out there and promise people yeah. something and then just like, just, just take it away again. Like, I mean, I know I can handle more disappointment. I'm numb to it at this point with, with everything that's kind of gone on, but like, I don't want to inflict that on, on anyone else really right now. So it's like, and I mean, like, I don't, there's no reason for us to announce this because from a, you know, a purely business point of view, we had sold a shit ton of tickets before we had to start postponing it. So it's not like, Oh, we need to get this out so we can start selling a bunch of tickets again. We have a bunch of tickets sold that people had multiple opportunities to get refunds on and didn't. So they're coming. Um, and I don't expect, I mean, I certainly hope that um, people are being uh, responsible with buying tickets for new shows that are announced that are on sale. I have no idea what's going on with that. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we're by the same token, we are looking to, to execute um, a Los Angeles metal and beer fest at the, um, at the end of this year also, because we, I have had the dates for that held for a year. And, you know, if we could do Philadelphia in September, I don't see how we couldn't do Los Angeles um, later than that. So, um, but again, I'm in no hurry to, announce any of that stuff because like why do that to why do that to people and why do that to yourself if things um things don't go as you hope in terms of um uh vaccine distribution and cases and blah 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 blah, blah everything else everybody's talked about for the past fucking year. so decibel is approaching its 200th issue now this takes me back because i remember getting decibel in high school which kind of you know ages me a bit but like Ages you. <laughs> I meant to say I was young, but, but like I, uh, I was, I was wondering for you as the founder and editor, does it feel like it's been two hundred issues? Yes. Um, no. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure once I joined, you were counting the issues. And you're like, when can this guy stop? <laughs> when is everybody done with this? Um, no. Um, I mean, honestly, the first, I feel like the last 200 issues have kind of flown by in, in, in a lot of ways for me. Um, because it's like, I can't, it, I mean, it's 17 years of this thing. So I can't like sit down, like my brain won't process all of it in one big chunk. So it's been carpent. Compartmentalized. compartmentalized yes in there so it's <laughs> like it. yeah so it's like 
<laughs> and right now, it's just it's just the units of measurement. It's, it's it's over hundreds right now. So I got like one to a hundred in my head as like a period of life and existence, and then one hundred one to two hundred as another one. So if you ask me, does it feel like um, seventeen years? Yes, but the second half of that doesn't feel like whatever half of 17 is eight and a half, eight and a half years. Um, it doesn't feel like that. And I don't know how much of that is just due to when you get older, time feels like it accelerates. Um, I'm a parent of two small children. Um, one of which was born in the second half of decibel. First one was born, born during the first half of decibel. So it's all like, um, they're all just like these weird chapter sections, you know, just like menus of a DVD. If any, if anybody listening remembers what DVDs were, but like, <laughs> like <laughs> you have, you know, you just have that chapter menu and it's just like, for me, it's just like, Oh, for one, one through 100, 101 through 200. How do you feel you handled the second 100 differently? I think that there were, um, there's, I mean, obviously there's different sets of challenges when you're launching something, getting something off the ground um, versus when you have a product that has a modicum of success that you want to um, sustain and build upon. So your approaches, your approaches are different. Um, but for me, um, there were a couple things, and I, and I think that like part of it – Maybe this, uh, surely this started to some extent um, within the first 100. That I became less and less concerned about things like newsstand sales, less and less concerned about like cover star viability, um, and more and more just kind of trusting my gut, um, just trying to be instinctual with like making decisions um, like that felt good about um, – covers uh general risk taking not being averse to it whether it was somebody who was an emerging artist or somebody who was a scene pariah um and just saying no let's let's go as deep into this as we can and look at this and and yeah these people are going to be mad these people this section of people are going to be really mad this section of people are going to be really mad on the internet this section of people are going to be confused but you know fine like the beauty of the magazine is that it's out every month and if you hate something one month you just have to wait another month and there'll be a different thing that maybe you don't hate as much or hate very little <laughs> i don't know um but i think there so there is there's a bit of that and then the thing that we had done the first half of decibel ends at the beginning of 2013 um so by then we had we had one decibel tour out and we had just about announced the second one. There were no decibel metal and beer fest. There was no decibel books. Um, decibel flexi series had been going for a couple of years at that point. So that was still a thing. Decibel website was really a afterthought in a lot of ways for me. Um, not something I cared deeply about or tried to make good. Um, was just kind of an ancillary thing there for, you know, place to people go when they need to subscribe or buy something. 
so all of that has changed dramatically, you know, um, with live events, the tour, um, you know, we have, we have a lineup and dates for decibel 2022 tour, um, right now. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, 10 years later, that's still viable thing. Um, obviously at West coast and East coast metal and beer fest, we've published seven, eight books, the decibel books in that second half of, um, of the magazine. So there's a lot, there's just more going on. There's more, um, from a business perspective, there's more revenue streams, but from, you know, uh, a perspective for me, it's just a diverse, fun, um, job that you never can get bored with because there's so much shit going on at all times that you're just juggling back and forth and trying to, um, um, continually develop interesting arms, um, for that all work that also work within, um, without being gross, the brand, um, because the one thing that maybe I'm most proud of with the, the 200 issues now is that I haven't fucked up the brand yet. <laughs> like, I, you know, there's no, like, <laughs> there's not like a big, like shark jumping moment. You can look at from the things that we have done over the years. Sure. There's things you're like, you know, you, you can flip through some issues and go, I don't know why you covered that band, but fine, whatever. But like, there's never been like a, like huge shift. Um, aesthetically or editorially in, in what we have done. Um, there's been refinement and ev evolution and like, um, sure there's times where certain styles and subgenres are maybe more interesting or happening and maybe we've devoted more attention to them. But I also just don't think that, I don't think there's anything we've done. Um, that's, that isn't, you know, that isn't from the magazine. Like I said, whether it's the flexi series or the books or the, events or whatever like there isn't anything that i look at and go oh, i wish we didn't do that it's all shit i'm like really stoked that we did and continue to, to to push that's something that i found really both fascinating and satisfying about your magazine sustained over a period of time was the amount of the amount of breadth and the consistency of that breadth. Like, obviously, we're on a podcast for Invisible Oranges. That's been around for a while. All of us have written for the site for a while. But ultimately, it's still a fraction of time compared to the amount that you've put in. And even getting that little fraction, trying to have real solid depth of coverage and quality of coverage within that depth becomes really challenging, even like one or two years in. So the fact that if anything, that's what I find most like most compelling about Decibel is that you're simultaneously not afraid to like, no, these are the big figures of heavy metal and we need to cover them. It would be journalistically irresponsible not not to cover them because we think we're above it. But then also you'll have like agoraphobic nosebleed releases a Christmas EP through the through the split and just like so like hitting on or like really deep dives into very obscure black metal or um like death metal demos as much as having like coverage of machine head um so i just how do you handle mechanically like maintaining that level of uh breadth especially over a sustained period of time i think um i'm fortunate enough to have surrounded 
um, myself with really good, diverse writers who have a, a lot of, um, <laughs> you know, who, who, who have a, a diverse um, breadth of tastes. Um, and, and if they, you know, if, if one of my writers who is sympathetic to Machine Head, um, you know, maybe he isn't so into a lamp of murmur, you know, John's band. Uh, uh, but like, <laughs> Sorry. But like he or she can understand it and say, all right, that exists in this world in a, in a way that doesn't appeal to me, but I understand how it exists. I think it's also like, it, it may be a little bit of an age thing for me too. Cause I am 45. So I have grown up with a bunch of um, genres and, 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 and been in love with some and tolerated the fuck out of others at times. <laughs> I, I went through, I went through the same things that everybody who gets into extreme metal goes through. You have these periods where, you know, you, you come up and you, you like all the, you're exposed to some mainstream heavy metal and then you hear a little more underground stuff. And then in all likelihood you go fucking deep down the rabbit hole and you <laughs> go through a period where you want absolutely nothing to do with anything that isn't at the bottom of that fucking rabbit hole. So I did all that like 25 years ago, you know? So I had all that experience and then I, and then as I came out of it, I was able to, I guess, maybe have decent sized ears for appreciating other genres of music additionally. And then that allowed me to appreciate, I think, more subgenres of metal in that sense. So I think I was, I've, I've been more sympathetic to the, the total, um, the total metal scene in that, in that sense. So I think that's kind of helped with taking on an, an aesthetic, but again, keep in mind, I'm completely full of shit at the same time because like, <laughs> like when, when I started decibel, like in my head, I was like, all right, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to put Slayer on the cover. We're not going to put Iron Maiden on the cover. We're not going to put Metallica on the cover. You know, we're going to put fucking Converge on the cover. And then, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, more angels going to be on the cover. It's like, we're going to go, like, we're going to appeal to the underground here. And then as it wore on and, you know, my arguments were always like, well, everybody, we've written, everybody's written about all these bands. Everybody knows what there is to say about Slayer or, or Iron Maiden. And then I was just like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we just need to say something about these bands that nobody else has. Fucking do the work and figure it out. So, I mean, our first Slayer cover was in 2016, and it was like a 16-page massive oral history of Slayer. And it, we just, I don't remember how many, we talked to like two dozen people. And then we had, we shot them for the cover and had them like, you know, recreate the, 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 the back cover of, um, of Rain and Blood or with the, you know, beer drinking. And like, I can't remember if it was Carrie King holding or Tom Mariah holding um, Lombardo's head. I, I remember it's been a long time. So I was able to, not like the, 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 that idea that I was, um, that, that I thought we were, you know, I don't want to say better than coverage of that stuff, but that I wanted the core of what we did to focus on something different. Um, I think once 
I got to the point where I was comfortable with our established core coverage, it allowed me to say, all right, go back to this idea of like, all right, you said we, you said we're not going to put these bands on the cover. Why is that again? And then when you can work past that reasoning and be like, well, do something better, do something different. Um, and that's kind of been the calling card. Um, I think of the magazine for a long time. Um, I mean, Cannibal Corpse is on the cover of the new issue. Cannibal Corpse has been on the cover in one form or another of eight issues of Decibel. Um, Cannibal Corpse, as you know, evolves slightly over time at this point. So <laughs> you really like, you know, if you're going to write another Cannibal Corpse cover story in 2021, better be fucking good. And you better like have a interesting angle. You better talk to the right secondary sources for your piece to kind of bring stuff out that isn't going to get out in another like Q and a with, with Paul and, and Alex Webster. You want to do something that's like th- that again, I don't, that's any grandiose, like something that, that, that is worthy of a decibel cover. Story. like it better be good. So, so I think that, um, Whatever your question was, like fifteen minutes ago, I think that's <laughs> that's what it is. So, with the idea of cover artist viability, you, you had brought that up a couple times. When did trusting your gut feel the best, and do you still regret the Trivium cover? <laughs> I regret. I do not regret the Trivium cover. Um, I regret. What about the Dragon Force cover? Maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> the Dragon Force cover was fun. It's fun. It's fine. It's fun. I think there's nothing wrong with a little fun. Um, when did I start? I think when I started. Um, yeah, somebody asked me this recently. I'm trying to remember. Um, yes, it was um, the first couple of years of Decibel. Um, there was definitely a lot of metallic hardcore and metalcore covers over an extended like probably like about a 12 to 14 month period. There was a lot of like, you know, God forbid. And as I lay dying and unearth and um, the aforementioned trivium on the cover. Um, and part of that was because I mean, those bands were the bands at the moment in the scene. They were, they were big bands like moving with an upward trajectory. Um, they were the most interesting stories of that, of that time in that kind of Ozfest headbangers ball um, tour era of things. Um, but I do remember we put ISIS on the cover um, in maybe 2005, 2006. And that was our first, that was their first cover. Um, and it was also like shot in a weird angular ISIS type way where they weren't all cropped together. They were like, kind of spread far apart. It wasn't the look you would want for a cover with positioning. And um, it was kind of dark, I think, too, color-wise and, and, and maybe brown and earthy, which, you know, the, the, people who, uh, the people who used to have jobs telling you how to sell a magazine um, would, would frown upon um, that, uh, that visual approach. <laughs> um, so I think for me, like, when I was able to say like, I love this band, they've never been on a cover of a magazine. They deserve it. I think from that moment on, like within a, you know, within a few months we had Yezu, we had 
on the cover with Justin Broderick cover, like talking from Godflesh to his history through Yezu. Um, I'm sure there were other things that would have been considered risky back then. Like Pelican, I think was on the cover within a few months of that. Neurosis. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's around, around that period, like two, again, 2006 or so, but ISIS would be the first one that comes to memory of saying, okay, we're going to do this and whatever happens, happens. Well, kind of spitballing off of that, and this is kind of going to kind of be a, a way for you to stroke your own ego around that time is when bands like ISIS and neurosis really broke through to a different market. Do you feel that you assisted with that? No, I don't. I, honestly, I don't. I, I don't think so, and it's not a false modesty or anything either. I think that the trajectory um, was already in. Everything was already in place, and you could see where things were were headed. Um, part of that, the that that the other scenes that were popular at the time, some of that metallic hardcore and metalcore stuff, it was it was getting oversaturated. It was playing itself out. You knew only a couple of bands were really going to come out on the other side of it. Um, and I think that that was also, this will be a term that some of you may remember and some may bristle at um, this idea of hipster metal um, <laughs> with uh, bands. Like I remember the sword when that first record came out, <laughs> people were so up in arms. I and I haven't thought about this in fucking forever, but I had to do some live NPR show where they wanted to talk about hipster metal, and I was like on fucking like some NPR New York station for fifteen straight minutes trying to explain people this idea of what hipster metal was, and like that it wasn't really a thing; that it was something that people <laughs> were like um, coming up with to. Um, try to try to kind of create this wall off of what was sincere and legitimate and what had put its time in versus what was somehow manufactured or fabricated in a way that wasn't uh, deemed, you know, true. And the whole idea of false metal and, and all that stuff. And we, I mean, we, we certainly, you know, we're, we were the devil's advocate with all that stuff. We would play with those terms quite liberally. And, um, you know, we would cover a lot of the bands that were deemed um, hipster metal or false metal or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure we still do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but those terms of, I don't know, I, I feel like they're, they're now just, um, they're, they're kind of looked at ironically um, where they were taken a lot more seriously back then. But I think like that idea of these, these bands that weren't um, metal, metal, like, you know, ISIS or neurosis, like gaining traction and popularity with people who weren't necessarily, you know, uh, somebody who could, you know, recite the Cannibal Corpse discography in order for you. Um, I think that that, that kind of just opened that up to, to some people like raining down on it. But it, but also again, this idea, this was, this stuff was happening without us, you know, neurosis isis um these bands would have been would have been where they got without anything with or without anything that we would have done. As, as a reader of your magazine or, or around that time and getting very much into that kind of stuff i always appreciated how those types of bands were placed right next to you know your your cannibal corpses and your your more obvious like metal metal 
bands as opposed to some of the segmenting off that a lot of those bands end up getting flack for in, in other places where it'd be places that don't traditionally cover metal, only covering bands of that style. You guys were just the uninflected nature of it, of just like, no, this is this is the breadth of heavy metal. And these guys are at the table just with everyone else, I think, was ultimately one of the more satisfying things about the way that you guys approached um, those things or it no longer felt above or below. It was just like more metal. Touching back on, on the breadth thing that I commented on, there was always sort of, especially as a young reader of your magazine, you know, like like Jonathan, I started reading when I was in high school. Um, that was about when you guys launched um, the just really being touched by that of like it, it not feeling alienating on, on either end because you wind up seeing especially we've all run into it, the types of people who get really mad online who can who can go so far down the rabbit hole that they seem to lose the plot of like, no, heavy metal is a very, very big enterprise. And they're like, no, it's four bands and they only have demos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hear from those people. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know some of those people by, by personal names. We've been, we've been close, we've been close to by them in the past. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's funny because... The whole idea is not to be elitist. And I, I remember taking some flack from a guy who was actually a former contributor. And he's a good guy. I don't want to, I'm not going to say his name and I'm not going to drag him through anything. But he, you know, he was talking about us online and he referred to our approach to covering metal as elitist because we didn't feature like Avenged Sevenfold or Godsmack and things like that. Now this isn't a guy, this isn't a guy who was a fan of those bands either. There's a guy who was actually like, like a, a pop music critic. So he had very wide tastes, understood underground metal. Totally. You know, wasn't like somebody who looked at the stuff and he was like, what is all this in your magazine? You totally got what it was, but just felt that like we were excluding this stuff. And I was like, fuck yeah, we're excluding it because it sucks. Like, our job is to not, like, our, our, our job isn't to present everything. Like, our job is yeah. to, like, you know, present the stuff that we feel is the most relevant or the best of the most relevant and then help guide people um, to, to stuff that they might like. And I don't understand why we would need to guide anyone to... <laughs> Godsmack or Event Sevenfold, we are our job is to guide people away from those things. <laughs> I found I found it, but I just found it interesting that like you know we had been we'd been tagged by like like my friend who used to work at Roadrunner Records, um, you know he would always he bust my balls and say ah oh, we were elitist because we did this and we did that and I'd be like the fuck are you talking about? Like we're, you know, we're insanely inclusive with the, the bands that we are covering just because you signed stone, stone sour. Like, don't tell me that we're, a leader <laughs> if you don't like it. But anyway, but that's, you know, I, and again, I thank you. I, I take what you said as a compliment, obviously, but it just, it just triggered this memory in my head <laughs> of like this idea of, of what is elitism in some people's eyes. And it's, certainly not um what um what we're talking about right now 
I, uh, I recall, you know, ma- decibel making people angry online is definitely a thing. And, um, and that's totally fine. We make people angry online all the time. But I recall a time when there were comments on the website still. <laughs> and, uh, I, oh, I recall. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, not, that's not too long ago. <laughs> when uh what what yeah, broke uh, what, what was the straw that broke the yeah. camel's back for that <laughs> i mean obviously i you and i have both you know destroyed people in the comments who were being mean but <laughs> um what destroyed that was honestly Facebook? So, yeah social media destroyed that and it wasn't that i was it wasn't that i wanted comments it was that this again this is like this is kind of a, <laughs> a, a <laughs> <laughs> more than you bargained for Rosenthal um, like All right. get ready everybody we have Can't wait. we have a, a, a journalistic responsibility to not spread lies to not foster misconceptions and conspiracies and hate and idiocy and if you have a comment section on your website 2021 and 2020 and 2019 2018 2017 2016 and it wasn't even so much about like doing the work to police the stuff because you can never, it's just like, you know, you're just trying to like fucking squash every bug that's like gotten in, you know, through this, through the open screen door at that point. Good luck. It's not going to happen. So, um, for me, I was just like, I just don't want any of this. I don't want to read any of these. I don't want to see this. I don't want to, um, give this, give these people this platform and this voice like social media, there's nothing you can do, honestly, other than like you just see something and you just go zap, you're deleted, like blocked, whatever. Like you could do that and take care of that in a second if you wanted to spend a, a lot of time on that. Um, but you can look at it once a day and zip, 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 gone. Um, but with the comments section, those I think that's I think that's so much harder to to maintain. So for me, it was just like. I don't care about dissenting voices in terms of people who are like, Oh, your magazine is dumb. Fine. You know, I don't care. But like, you know, your magazine, um, promotes, um, these, um, this left wing agenda that's destroying our, uh, the fabric of our society, et cetera, et cetera. Like things like that. Like I just, I want that shit to just stop. Um, so yeah, that's the real reason. And like, I mean, it's like, whatever, like, there, there's still a lot of major metal websites that have comment sections because they get <laughs> yeah they do <laughs> more, they, they because they do and they get more clicks. Some of them like to have like uh, like to have this veneer of incredible uh, social and ethical responsibility about what they do and continue to have a comments very lively comment section in addition to that. Um, but hey, that's their problem not mine um but yeah that's why there are no no comments <laughs> yeah i know it's uh to be witty that sucks <laughs> 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 uh, 
That question was very much for uh, for the audience and not anyone here. We <laughs> The minute I heard the question, I was like, you know the answer to that. Why would you ask <laughs> that <do>. question? <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to get things on the record, Langdon. <laughs> I, just, I, I had that split. I had that split second response of like, I remember us chatting about it and just one screen cap of some comments. And it's like, we cannot have this anymore. We need to get rid no. of this right away. Like, we, uh, <laughs> we still have a comment section. It's just attached to Facebook. So we can <laughs> ban people from our Facebook page, from our comment section on the website. <laughs> So it's, it's killing two birds but, with one stone. It's pretty great. Yeah. Well, it, I it's mean, fun. I mean, it is interesting because you know, as a publication, and you know, in on the online realm, IO is in the same realm. Um, and it's interesting because you know, before I started writing, I I, I was a commenter. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I, was, I, I was I was on the old decibel forum. Um, oh, the forum. The forum. Yeah. Forum culture is different than comment True. culture. It, it is. But even the comments, like, I remember, like, especially when IO was under um, Cosmos um, handle still, like, every once in a while, you'd get very interesting people talking. Yes, there were the assholes, like, Captain Asshole just popping in, in and out. But, you know, and that's a double edged sword is like when you're given that much freedom. Uh, sometimes good things happen and sometimes bad things happen. And I definitely don't um, hold it against anyone. Like you guys said, when it just gets too much, and especially at the last half decade, it's gotten sometimes a bit too much. Yeah. I mean, this social media, like, I'm, like I said, we're in it, we don't police that social media is recognized cesspool of humanity. All right. Like our publication doesn't have to be so it's like you're gonna make the choice like do i want to get in on this do i want to get on get in on this click action or do i just want to be like no we're not going to be part of this anymore and and i mean that's at least how i rationalize it with with continuing to to be on social media platforms i mean it'd be kind of nice if i could just like go on and we could turn off all comments for everything ever um but by the same token there's been like I have had great interactions with, with, with people on social media over the years. Um, it's not the norm, <laughs> but yeah, it, it does happen. And I appreciate those experiences as limited as they may be. Um, but it, 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 you know, it's difficult to, I, I, I realize I've been doing a blanket general generalization with social media. Um, I think I'm not, wrong when i say that the majority of it is is pretty bad and not really worth much but you know there's there's some good people that are clearly out there and reading and commenting and commenting and trying to contribute something to a discussion and it's it's kind of sad that that's really lost in some ways because the old decibel forum i mean yeah there was some dumb shit on it for sure but I think that there was, I think everybody who was there was genuinely there because they were a fan of this music and they felt a comfortable place to go to, to talk, talk about it and get other people excited about things that they were excited about and try to find new things to get excited about themselves. Um, and I think a lot of that is just gone, um, which is, you know, it's sad, but like, 
I don't know. I don't know how people. How do people communicate? Where do they go on Twitch now and talk to each other? How does it, what 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 happens? Tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Twitch makes me feel old. So there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Twitter. Um, a lot of that. Yes. And that, again, that's like that's like flipping a coin. You go on there, you flip a coin and for every tail, it's it's, it's nothing but slurs for some reason. No one knows why and no one likes it, but it happens. And then for every heads, you're like, oh, I've never heard of, of that band. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I recall a positive time in the comments. Uh, we had posted something about Slayer. I think it was their final tour or something like that. And lo and behold, Daniel Schlur shows up, who is also known as Slayer guy. And I ended up interviewing him because of that. But he was like, right? Like it was just like the perfect interaction where like this really nice person who's very, very, very into Slayer happens to like our website and said a nice thing about us. That's so rad. Yeah. See, like, and for every, 1,000 horrible things you have to read. You get one of those. <laughs> well, and um, to, to talk about, you know, the, the history of Decibel, um, I think one thing that's interesting as, as we all, you know, played some role in the um, metal media uh, world. Um, but, you know, what would you say out of all your experiences with the magazine and then everything else that's grown out of it, the tours and everything, like what's an experience where you're like, I this would have happened. Like 18 year old me is just shitting bricks, like unbelieving this is happening. Oh, I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, all that, like, I mean, I, I, you know, I try not trying to look back too often. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you have these kind of milestone um, moments uh, in terms of the history of the magazine, like the 200th issue, I think it's important. Like I give, a, I give our, us the freedom to just like take a step back and be like, oh, okay, all right, this is, we, here are some of the things we did. Let's check it out. Let's look at it again. Remember what we did, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, what we could do differently to move everything down the road. Um, but I have, you know, taken some time with the 200th issue to just think about stuff. And I mean, the short answer is like all of it, like, you know, like these bands that like I, you know, that were the center of my universe 30 years ago, whether it was like, you know, Paradise Lost or Napalm Death to, you know, to have, to have, you know, friendships with them, um, you know, 30 years later and to be able to help. So to definitely help them with their career in some capacity, you know, whether it's through the coverage or the events or connecting dots with people in the industry who can help them that they're looking for recommendations, whatever it is. Um, I know that's kind of a, a, a general answer. So there's that general part of it. And then there's like, there are some of those moments where you're just like, holy fuck, how do we get here with this? Um, one of them is obviously um, the 2018 Metal and Beer Fest when Trypticon uh, headlined and played, performed an all Celtic Frost set in, in LA at the Will Turn. That was definitely like, and it was and part of it was just also because it had been um, something that I had worked on for years trying to get it done directly with with Tom Fisher 
And, you know, he and I had become pals over that period of time, that experience. And um, I had kind of gained his trust. And I knew that, I knew that he wasn't, you know, he obviously wasn't taking something like this lightly and he hadn't, didn't have any plans to do it with anybody else or anything. So when those artists that you admire so much and spent so much of your life trying to learn about and to um, share with other people, um, when they, when, when they gain your trust to work with them and, and help them with their careers and their craft and their vision, like that is always like the, the coolest thing by far and away. Um, like, Oh, we get to work together. We get to do this thing together. Like that's nuts. That's crazy. Like I couldn't have imagined that when I was listening to these records 30 years ago. Um, so um, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of long answer, but like, as far as like one moment, um, that one stands out, but there's just so many, like literally like, you know, carcass headlining the decibel tour, um, us getting to publish the paradise lost biography. Um, I, I mean, there's some, there's like, there's just a lot of things like releasing, releasing, um, original new music from Napalm Death from our Flexi series, like things like that. Shit, like fucking crazy. Like, like we get, I get to do that. Like that's like that. Those things, those things aren't lost. I mean, I, they don't ever get wrote or anything like that. Um, mm. And I think that's like the fact that I still am enthusiastic about all this because like, it's, you know, I, some of you who know me and work with me know that I will, complain regularly about the amount of work that I have to do. Um, but it's not lost on me that it's a huge privilege to even be in a position to do that. And it's like, it's a dream job, obviously. And, and I take it seriously and I get as frustrated with elements of it as anybody else does with their job. But at the end of the day, like, Holy shit, I get to do that. So yeah, but we'll, if we had to pick one, we'll go with that, with that um, uh, Celtic Frost set because that was pretty wild. Nice. And as a decibel writer myself, I get that holy shit feeling every time Albert pitches something at me, like, oh God, I have to do this. This is going to be crazy. <laughs> so like, I can't imagine what it's like to coordinate all of that. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I, I, part of it is... Um, Part, part of it is like really natural at this point because it's been such a long thing. Like um, I have written about music professionally since 1996 and I have, you know, I have had relationships that go that far back. Um, and I have some even before that when I was just a fan and, you know, the, the letter writer, show goer lurker guy trying to like meet people and 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 um just not get my name out there but just get in there with an experience um that that it's just been like it's just part of life you know like and and yeah you get this email or this phone call from this guy 
um, who you've been listening to his records for 30 years. Like not every, not every email or phone call or discussion or meeting or, or, or text or whatever that you have with these people. Every time you have it, you don't get that feeling obviously because you'd never get anything done in this position, but you, you work towards like, again, doing something together and, whether it's like an onstage moment or a printed moment or them signing to a bigger label or getting some kind of recognition elsewhere. Um, that's when it manifests itself all over again. And you get that, like that rush of a, adrenaline and excitement. Well, one, one thing with the magazine that I've always appreciated with Decibel and, you know, Funny enough, I think some magazines and some publications tried to follow in your footsteps, but I, I can't really think of anyone who did it before you, but the Hall of Fame um, and the fact that it it adds sort of the historian kind of perspective in terms of metal, in terms of like, you know, whatever's going on with the scene now, like, just put that on pause and take a look at this, like, check this thing out and listen to someone explain why this matters mm-hmm. yeah it definitely influenced my own writing so yeah. i i can definitely agree with joe i i think you know part of the goal um was to always you know obviously be looking forward but to have a very strong understanding of the past and you know 17 years ago when when I started the magazine, the past didn't seem that long ago to me in a lot of ways. It almost seemed like when we were doing those first few hall of fames, um, like rain and blood or left hand path or Gothic or, um, we are the Romans or or whatever. Um, like to me, they all just seem like, well, no shit. That's obvious. Everybody knows this. Like, like everybody knows that these are important records and let's just like, let's take a moment to revisit them and tell the, tell the story and see if people can learn some cool things about Mm -hmm. them. But as that kind of grew and as time went on, there became almost like a, another level and layer of responsibility with it. I think where as the series kind of took, um, as, as it became popular, um, I think that there was this idea that you really needed to nail all of these and you really needed to get all of your picks right. You needed to make sure that the stories were all good and, and, and compelling. And even if the record wasn't, if the record was an on the fence record, well, we better have a really good fucking story with it. And, you know, if the record was a no brainer record, then okay, maybe. And if you had, if you ended up having some, maybe, less engaging interviews or some less engaging band members, you know, so it goes. Um, but I do think that, uh, as time has worn on, you know, trying to strike that balance with all that stuff and that balance of what is a right down the middle record that is obvious for the hall of fame. And then what is something that is a little left of center, but fits within the whole aesthetic of the magazine or within the whole aesthetic of uh, the extreme metal underground. Um, so, you know, you have all that and then that's like, that's like right in the middle of a just like monthly music magazine. 
um, that's trying to like highlight as much new music as possible at the same time. But I think that's like always just been our, you know, our, our approach is that balance, you know, we, the, the hall of fame series obviously being what it is. And this, I think decibel books is a very obvious extension of that beyond the, the anthologized hall of fame books that we've done. I think, um, you know, the USBM book, um, the Paradise Lost book, the Finnish death metal book. There's some other stuff that's, I mean, Choosing Death obviously had a, a second life with decibel books. Um, so all of that stuff, I think it's just like kind of all mixed into um, just the overall aesthetic of, of the magazine at this point. But the Hall of Fame, yeah, that, that, that was, I think, the first thing that we did that really made us, set us apart from some of the other magazines at the time. And um, when it gained traction, like, I mean, when we did the, we did a, an, an anthology only like five years into the magazine with DeCapo. Um, there's a one book deal that we did that was, you know, published, a different publisher. It wasn't published through Decibel Books. Um, and, you know, the series was only five years old at that point. We had done, you know, there's only like 50 some Hall of Fame pieces. And they took a chance with anthologizing them in a book and distributing it nationally. Um, so the, in a lot of ways, the Hall of Fame series got legs pretty quickly. Um, I don't think it's that novel of a concept. Like take a record, go as deep as you can into it. Um, maybe there's just, maybe the way we presented it, maybe the, the, the rules that were controversial in some people's eyes at the time that, you know, you had to get everybody who performed on the album to induct it. Um, and explaining to people for 17 years, why those rules were in <laughs> <laughs> or why you couldn't get so-and-so because of the one person you just couldn't find. Right. Or the one person who just hated everybody else and, wanted to be the the fly in the ointment um but uh yeah it, it, the hall of fame obviously it's one of the one of the pillars of of the magazine one of the reasons i think that we were able to establish ourselves as a a different voice so early on within uh the start of the magazine because there's plenty of gimmicky things you can do and we probably even did some of them um at the time, but I think that that uh, maybe gave us, um, I don't want to say an air of authority, but maybe, maybe people just took it a little more seriously. I mean, it's, it's the classic thing of like, people can tell on some level when you give a goddamn and when people are actually like, you don't just want to make a magazine to put your name on it or make a magazine to get a check, but it's like wanting to do a good job and the level of intensity of like the depth of those articles, I think, really speaks to that. Um, that's at least been especially for someone on the outside or um, as as John would show us little bits of his work as, as he was working on stuff being like that. That that was really the thing that struck me about them that I think is probably what what resonated the most strongly, because you you, you see so many instances of without without naming names it's like well this this article didn't need to exist or this thing is is 
page filler and it never felt that way like it felt because of it again what you were mentioning because of those rules that strongly established like it's not going to show up if it's not a ultimately a really solid piece of writing yeah and i think that the idea of like when we started in 2004 the idea that <laughs> that, that anybody thought a 6000 word long form feature in the middle of a magazine every month was the way to go when every magazine that was on newsstands had been trying to chop down articles into little bite-sized chunks and listicles and all this like easy debt to digestible easy easily digestible content like you know and we took like no no no, no fuck that uh <laughs> talk about this record is 25 years old for the next eight pages like i think that that like it, it, I think again, you know, the idea that I was concerned with um, establishing the magazine and um, having some newsstand pool and things like that. Maybe in retrospect, I never really gave a shit at all. <laughs> when uh, you start to kind of look at um, the idea of, of pushing something like the Hall of Fame through, um, because again, from a if you want to go back to a business. Um, standpoint because I, and I think it's important to to talk about that stuff and not feel gross about it too um, like you're not going to get like you're not going to see any ad revenue from a record that was 25 years old you know nobody's going to be like saying oh yeah we're going to let, let's do this let's run this ad for this title that I'm not even sure it's in print anymore at the label great like um, so, you know, it was, it's, it's all clearly just based on a genuine love and interest of the, of the music and the record and the artists than it is any kind of cynical, well, you know, we cover this. So if we cover this, we'll get advertising for it. Um, and I think that that's, um, I think that's like one of the things that, that separated us for a while is that you know we while the, we talked about the, the the overall scope of heavy metal being pretty large, you know, it's not a it's not a punk rock magazine. We're not like we're not we're not slipping in. We're not we're not getting a few lookout records ads because we you know did a did some punk pop like on the side here when nobody was looking, which I've seen magazines do for since long before Decibel, and they still do them now. And it's pretty obvious why you do them. Um, but like, you know, we, we just, just try and really just trying to be cognizant of the reader and the audience and the core audience and not, not sell them out literally in that sense. I mean, it's wound up having a really beneficial downstream effect. Like I can speak to it <laughs> on a personal level, like my own writing for Invisible Oranges draws a lot specifically from your methodology for, for the Hall of Fame stuff, because Precisely because of establishing that Decibel is a big enough name that when you do something and it works, that proves viability like all the way downstream that it's like, no, you really don't have to make these dumbed down approachable articles just for the sake of them. Like if it's the right move, it's the right move, but you can do these things. And so like th this is at least uh, just just me being like. Thank God you did that because now I can do weird things. <laughs> but, but yeah, have it, the really strong effect of like that viability, like because it 
it very clearly resonated with people and continues to resonate with people. And it's just, I find that that kind of pull is something fascinating that I think only something like a print magazine can have of like establishing a form that then can exist in all of these other places because it acted as this linchpin model. Yeah. And I think that's like, I think that that speaks to you having, having faith in your readers, like, and this idea that like, no, I think, I think there's more people out there. There's more giant nerds like me out there who want this content presented in this way, who want to, who want to consume it in, in this particular manner. And I was, I'm not right about a lot of things, but I was goddamn right about that. (laughs) Um, And I think that, you know, you try to have, you you try to strike that balance of like giving your readership some, some, some red meat with some coverage stuff like, um, you know, a cannibal corpse hall of fame, but obviously makes sense. There's no, you know, you're not compromising a goddamn thing by doing that. It's right down the middle. But also saying, you know what? You can handle a Slint Hall of Fame. You might not think you can, some of you, but you actually can. And then uh, you you really are rewarded by the people who, who it was for, the people who it was like hit them right in their guts, as well as the people who didn't know they were ready for it who just like were so like oh my god how did i not pay attention to this until i read this or you know how did how have i not heard this record in 30 years on earth um thank you and i think like the stuff like that like if you don't take those chances you never have and if you don't take those chances and just worry about like some of your knuckle dragging contingent going hey man what the fuck um like you're not the the risk of worrying about them versus the reward of like all that other stuff that i just mentioned it just the reward so outweighs the risk thank you for listening You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond. (laughs) 